Welcome to the Lesbian Review Podcast. I'm Sheena and today I'm being joined by the fantastic and fabulous Lee Winter. Lee Winter is the author of one of my absolute favorite lesbian books ever, Requiem for Immortals. This book changed my life and I was actually very tempted to put the main character of this book onto this list just because she's so awesome but in the end I decided against it because she's on just about every other list I've ever done. And my wife kind of said to me, Sheena, you have five picks. You can't have Requiem on every single list you do. Your readers are going to get bored. So I was like, okay, fine. And you know how wives are. It's always best to listen to one's wife. Don't you think? I definitely think you should listen to your wife. Although I do like the idea that Requiem should be on every list ever created. <laughs> I think that there might be a little bit of overkill. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Anyway, so I did listen to my wife. But... That doesn't change the fact that you all should run out and buy a copy of Requiem for Immortals if you have not done so yet. So Lee's written some other books as well, and there's a superhero one actually coming out later this year, which I'm stoked for. But she's been mercilessly teasing me about this book for months now, and I'm terribly miserable that it isn't out yet. So Lee, tell us about this book. Okay, so Shattered is the story of a black lesbian superhero from another planet. And she has the special skill of being able to toss large objects and shatter them. But one day she just suddenly goes off the grid and disappears. So her superiors send a tracker after her to find her. And the whole story is the tracker finding her and trying to convince her to go back to civilization. But the question that gets asked over and over is, are we worth saving? Is Shattergirl, the name of the hero, right that, you know, we're not worth it? that she's sick of our rubbish, she's sick of our racism and our sexism and our homophobia and all our nonsense, and she just wants to be left alone. And that is the premise of the story. It's out on June 7. And she goes to this interesting island that you discovered, right? Socotra. It's actually three islands, but the main one is called Socotra. And, yeah, it's the most alien place on Earth. There are species there that are only ever found on that island, and there are hundreds of them and botanists and anthropologists and all sorts turn up from all over the world to um, have a peek at a poke. And they've got trees there that just look like weird rubber explosions of doilies and strange things. They cling to the side of a cliff like you wouldn't believe. And it is brilliant and exotic. And, of course, our superhero thinks, right, that's it. I'm going to the most alien place on Earth since I am an alien. And, um, yeah, it's fascinating. And the tracker, is the tracker a superhero or is the tracker just a normal person? She's a normal person. Uh, yeah, her name's Lena Martin, and um, she's just really, really good at convincing people to do what she wants. Like, she can talk people into anything. So that's why she gets tapped on the shoulder to go and talk to this particular superhero. But, you know, it turns out the superhero just really doesn't want to leave. So it's a really interesting dynamic. Uh, Lena trying to manipulate her into coming home, and the superhero challenging her every thought and every expectation and every... Uh, thing that she knows about life makes her ask maybe the superhero has a point maybe we <laughs> maybe we really don't deserve to be safe maybe she's got a point leaving and um yeah that's the point of the story okay so today we're doing the 10 most awesome heroines that we could think of so we each picked five and my criteria was as follows i was thinking about all the awesome female characters on tv on in comics wherever i could think about them and there's so many of them I had to whittle them down. So I was like, well, what makes a real hero? And it's not really something that makes them different physically. What it is, it's something that makes them different emotionally. It's people who can put aside or overcome their own personal turmoil, their own 
internal battle and help those in need. I picked five amazing women that fall into that category for me. So Lee, what was your thought process behind how you chose? Well, four out of my five are unapologetic about who they are. They really don't care about what society thinks of them. The only exception is a hero who had to overcome her own uncertainties to get to that point. But in the end, she too, yes, is unapologetic about who she is. And all of the women go on to do amazing things. And that was my criteria. It's interesting. Would this be your criteria if you were talking male heroes? Men don't have to be unapologetic about who they are because they already get to be who they are without having to go, oh, yeah, I'm not really that good. You know what I mean? Um, My criteria for men would be quite different. Yeah. That's interesting because as you were talking, I realized that actually that's exactly what I was thinking as well when I was like, that was a big part of it. They are who they are. There's no, very often they have to overcome a patriarchal kind of space. Interesting. That hadn't even occurred to me till now. Hmm. Hero number one has to be Xena the warrior princess. Um, I think all roads lead back to ancient Greece and a certain lesbian icon. She was, for me, the first TV hero I ever saw who didn't apologize for being stronger, more brilliant than men. She, like, stood up for herself. She fought. She ran whole armies. She was absolutely brilliant. And she never turned around and said, oh, I'm not that good. I I think I was very scarred by watching Wonder Woman and seeing the number of times she gave the credit away to the man. And I know that was the 70s, the TV show I'm talking about, not the movies. I know that was the 70s, and I know it was the thing that she had to, you know, somehow know her place. She could be great, but not too great. She had to be good, but not better. Uh, whereas here, along came Xena, and she was better, and she said so, and she did so, and it was brilliant, and I loved it. And, of course, she did it all with, you know, wearing leather and had a sword and her cute sassy sidekick. And uh, she also, very good point, she started the modern phenomenon of lesbian fan fiction. The men started theirs with, uh, I think it was Star Trek with Spock and Kirk, and the women, uh, it all began with Xena. So for that reason alone, she's number one. I love Xena. Like, I really love Xena. Like, I have rewatched my box sets of Xena multiple times. Xena made a huge impact in my life. And I absolutely agree that she needs to be on this list. And the only reason I didn't include her myself was I knew you were going to include her. So good first choice. What did you go for? My first choice was Jessica Jones. Ah. So Jessica Jones is a Marvel Comics character that was brought to life in the TV series on Netflix relatively recently. This is what it's about. Haunted by a tragedy, Jessica settles in Hell's Kitchen, New York, and opens her own detective agency. Then she discovers that the source of her trauma has resurfaced, and she's pretty sure that she's not strong enough to stop it, even though she has super strength. So why I put her on this list is because she is a superhero, right? So she does have the super strength, but she's also entirely awesome. She gets the best bad guy that I've ever seen and manages to overcome a very big personal thing in order to defeat him. She has to have a lot of internal strength because her physical strength actually doesn't help her that much with defeating this dude. So yes, I love Jessica Jones. It's awesome. And the fact that it's a slightly darker TV series also makes my heart just beat a little bit faster. It is a very terrifying show. I mean, I have got a very low threshold for anything sort of horror-related or fear-related, I get too squeamish and hide behind the couch. So I didn't watch more than about six episodes of it, but I agree with you. I had the most fearsome villain ever, and I'm glad to hear she defeated him. She does, but it takes a lot. So who's your second choice? Well, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Now, she's one of the... She's the one who is a bit apologetic at first about being a hero. She didn't want it. She wanted desperately to fit in. She was a teenage girl... 
I mean, all teenage kids, most of them anyway, really want to just fit in and be like everyone else and don't be remarkable, don't stick your head above the parapet. And here she's told she's the chosen one. What I love about the show is the character growth. And she goes from fighting it to acknowledging it to embracing it to standing tall and being the glue that holds the family together, holds holds the Scooby gang together. She saves the world multiple times. She gives her life in one episode for them all. And she is the most fantastic hero I've ever seen. And the whole thing is sort of like a bit of an analogy about also accepting adulting, you know, having to grow up and be the one that people turn to. And I also love the fact that she accepted her friends who are very motley and diverse crew, including a demon, um, a vampire, and, of course, two lesbian witches. So she gives an absolute tick for enormous character growth. I thought she was fantastic. I agree with you. It's a difficult show, though, to choose which heroine I like the most between her and Willow because they both have such spectacular moments of heroism. I definitely think, well, look, Buffy was the title character, so she deserves the kudos, but I think Willow gets a lot less press than she should. Willow was amazing, and when she went in that spiral and she turned dark, that was fantastic TV, but to me, all roads lead back to Buffy, and that's why I chose Buffy, I think, in the end. Absolutely, and Buffy did it again and again and again, but Willow solved the problem ultimately in the end. Yes, this is true. Not that I'm a fangirl or anything. <laughs> <laughs> you hide it so well. Okay, my second pick is Alice from the Resident Evil movies. The first Resident Evil movie was released in 2002, so it's quite a while ago. And it still stands up, hey? I watched it the other day and I was just blown away. I still love it. Alice wakes up having taken a fall in the shower. She doesn't remember who she is or what she's doing there. Enter a military team who proceeds to an underground laboratory to find out why the supercomputer shut down everything. They manage to reboot the system, but before they do, the computer warns them not to, telling them they're in terrible danger. As it turns out, the computer was right. Alice, in the first movie, I mean, she sort of grows as a heroine. As the movies generally evolve, she gets to be more and more of a hero. Her evolution through the films is actually quite an amazing thing to watch. She's quite kick-ass in all the films, and she's the strong, silent type. So she she hardly has a lot of dialogue. She has interaction with characters, but she's not really a people person. She's very much an outcast, and often of her own making. But she does go on to save people time and time again, even if it is reluctantly. So Alice, for me, is just such a, a fantastic example of how women can be totally kick-ass, and it doesn't have to revolve around us having a man, having a love interest even, It's really just about her just saving whoever she's with, you know? So I really like her as a hero. I haven't actually seen any of Alice at all in anything. Has it got the horror genre thing happening? Yes, zombies. Yeah, no. (laughs) Loads of gore and zombies, and I love every second of it. Yeah. Um, I'll be back under the couch for that one. All right, so my pick uh, number three is Sarah Connor from both Terminator and the Sarah Connor Chronicles, which was a TV series spin-off that happened almost 10 years after the movie. Sarah Connor, for those who don't know, was the mother of John Connor, who's the star of Terminator. And she had a visitor from the future, a man from the future, who told her how the world was going to go down. And as a result, when she had his son, um, in this weird time paradox, it actually makes no sense. But anyway, she had his son, and she trains him to be the most kick-ass resistance fighter in the world. But to do that, she had to get to be very hard, very tough, very ruthless. And she's the most ruthless human being, male or female, I think I've ever seen. And she puts everything 
into this mission to turn him into the ultimate leader of the resistance. And I don't know if you haven't seen her stripping down a gun in Terminator 2. <laughs> you haven't lived. She's got biceps that go on all year. And she's just so hard. And she even makes her son cry because she, he busts her out of a mental hospital. She doesn't even say thank you. She just tells him that he's stupid for doing it and risking everything. <laughs> and I'm just Anyway, my point is I had never seen a woman like this who just completely shattered the gender barriers and notions of what a woman was. They didn't even try to make her even remotely feminine the way they did with, um, say, Ripley and Alien, where they threw a young girl at her to save and be protective of. She was just completely hard and ruthless and cold. And the moment I saw it, I thought, oh, my goodness, that means a, a woman could do anything. It had never actually occurred to me until then that a woman could do anything, and that was the character that shattered my understanding of the male-female, you know, um, spectrum. And I realized after that that, wow, that is brilliant. TV will never be the same again. And uh, movies would never be the same again, and it wasn't. I, I like the Lena Headey version TV too, but, I mean, I think um, Linda Hamilton could probably use her as a toothpick. So, you know, <laughs> that's how tough she was. Yeah, I agree with you about that, about all of that, really. And I agree that Linda Hamilton was the ultimate um, Sarah Connor. Yeah, she was, no doubt about it. And the first movie was in the 80s, wasn't it, released? 1984 was yeah. the first Terminator. And interestingly, uh, Ripley in Alien was in 79. And so she was really the first hero who ever was written like a male. But, as I say, they did fling the girl at her and try to make her a little bit more, you know, relatable and motherly and stuff. They didn't even bother with Sarah Connor. They were just like, nah, <laughs> you got a mission, girlfriend, you stick to it. And I think that's fantastic because that's the sort of films that young girls watch and go, you know what, I don't have to be this pretty and pink little girl with pigtails. I actually think because she suppresses emotion so much, she could be the toughest, scariest hero of any hero you could name. Because most of us, what our strength is and our weakness is our emotion, but she just, no, she squashes it. It's toast. And you know what's so interesting about that? I mean, if you had to take a male, any male, and just put him in that role, dialogue, word for word, you wouldn't even bat an eye. Yeah, yeah. Ex except for the scene where she sleeps with that guy. I would bat an eye at that. But otherwise, I'd take your point. <laughs> <laughs> Valid point. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a whole other show. Or maybe not. Maybe it would just be the modern reincarnation of Terminator. There we go. Okay. I, I love your pick. I think she's fab. Definitely worth uh, being on the heroines list. Yeah. My number three pick is Helena from Orphan Black. Have you watched Orphan Black? No, another show I haven't watched. I feel, uh, yes, so at a loss here. Orphan Black is this TV show centering around the main character, Sarah, who discovers that there are all these clones that look exactly like her. And Elena is Sarah's twin sister. Okay, so just wrap your head around that for a minute. So not all the clones are actual siblings in terms of being born by the same mother, but they, they're clones, they have the same DNA, but Helena is Sarah's twin. Helena and Sarah could not be more opposite if they tried. Sarah is a petty criminal. She does silly things and she loses her daughter at one point because she's got this very cute little girl and her foster mother ends up looking after her daughter and that sort of thing. But Helena... Helena's a downright scary human being. She's a trained assassin, and she has no real emotions whatsoever. At least that's what it looks like when you first meet her. Now, the reason she's on my heroines list 
is because she has everything going against her. She's been taught to kill without remorse. She's been tortured as a kid. She's been brought up in the most horrifying circumstances. And she didn't know her sister. And then when she just finds Sarah and the two of them are reunited, then she is so fiercely loyal to Sarah that she will do anything, including putting herself in like terrible situations, in harm's way, in really, really bad places, just to make sure her sister's okay. So she really goes above and beyond, even despite her terrible past. And that's why she's on my heroines list. Sounds really good. It is. Orphan Black is fab. Is that a scary genre too? You seem to have a theme. No, it is not scary. It's more like a drama, sci-fi type thing. It's not even that sci-fi-y. It's really just, I would classify it a little more as drama. And the actress that plays all the different clones, Tatiana something or another, is brilliant. She manages to embody these different clones so well. Like I almost put her on the list because of this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. No, I like that. My number four is actually, it's not for me because she's not my hero, but she's a hero for so many millions of girls that I thought, well, I cannot possibly overlook this young woman. It's Hermione Granger from Harry Potter. And I've chosen her because I don't think all heroes should have to have muscles. It doesn't always have to be about who, who's got the most kick-ass moves or the, or the best machinery or the be- whatever. Hermione fights through books and her smarts. And she had to work twice as hard as anyone else because her parents were muggles and no one gave her a due and they always put her down as a swat and a nerd and even Ron, who she ends up with (laughs) inexplicably, is always teasing her and being horrible to her and making her cry. And despite all that, despite being tortured and she never breaks, she's the one who saved the wizarding world many, many times over. She saved the boys many, many times over. And she did it with everyone was just basically telling her to sit down, shut up, and just basically be a little girl. And she refused. She's just like, no, I'm not having it. And she fought and she won and she persisted and she was absolutely brilliant. Also, a little bit of a shout-out to um, Emma Watson, who uh, even today is this wonderful feminist. And it, she just reminded me exactly like what Hermione would be if she was a muggle who decided to, you know, <laughs> persist in the world. But um, I think she's a great hero for girls, especially girls who aren't especially brawny, but who have always got their nose in a book. Mm. I actually find Hermione to be a much more interesting character to read about than Harry Potter. Mm. She's more complex as a character. I found Rowling's treatment of her a little disappointing in the end. The fact that she did end up with Ron, I was just like, come on. She deserves so much better. That was just a divorce in the making, that decision. That was terrible. I mean, I'm glad she walked that back and said years later that if she'd done it today, she would have put her with Harry. But um, she also said something I found really interesting, and a lot of writers fall for this. They all do this. At the start, when she envisioned her book, she decided that Hermione should be with Ron, and that was that. In the same way with Xena, Rob Tapert, who envisioned it, said that he always envisioned at the start um, Zena would be the hero and at the end she'd die and hand over the, you know, to Gabrielle. And they stick to it regardless through thick and thin, even though the characters have evolved and developed and changed and got their own life and their own world and their own everything. And rather than just acknowledging that and going, okay, that doesn't quite fit anymore, they just do it anyway. So that's why we get stuck with these really strange endings that don't seem to make much sense for the characters. It's because the author was being stubborn. That's interesting. I didn't know that. See, this is why you should not envision your end when you start. Well, yeah. Well, don't write it out entirely. <laughs> I can't help envisioning my end a little bit. I sort of know where it's going. But you're right. You've got to have some freedom of movement or you could end up, you know, um, marrying off your character to Ron and there could be no fate worse than death. <laughs> oh, 
that's excellent. Mm. That's definitely yeah. the best quote of the podcast so far. Oh, dear God, I'll have to lift my game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my number four pick is Mulan from the Disney film with the same name. Ah. Mulan was a Disney film that was released in 1998. It's the story of a girl named Mulan who takes her ailing father's spot when he's drafted into the military to go to war against the Han army. The problem is that she's living in a very patriarchal society and they won't allow women to join the military. So she pretends to be a male. She doesn't give up, despite being slower, weaker and not at all prepared for the training. And in the end, she ends up saving all of them. Now, this film... It's actually such a funny thing because most people either love or hate this film. Like, there's very few people who are like, uh, about it. So people either really passionately love it or really passionately hate it. But I love this film. I thought it was a fantastic film. It's Disney's first film where you take the heroine and really make her a hero. She's not the shrinking violet. She's not the one that needs to be saved. And sure, there's a love interest and a, and a male one at that. And he, in his own right, is, is a hero and they work together. But... Really, at the end of the day, they couldn't have done it without her. So I chose this because we need to see women who stand up to the system and they're the heroes in the end. And we need to see it in films aimed at young girls. We need to see more and more of this. And I just love Mulan. I think she's fab. Was there any controversy about it? They often uh, muck up when they do, um, you know, change into different cultures and stuff. Did they, did they get it relatively right or what was the, what was the deal? You know, I generally avoid reading stuff about that sort of thing because for me it's entertainment and as much as I think they should try to get a culture right I'm also like when I watched The Lion King I didn't laugh at them for their silly things that they did about Africa you know what I mean it's entertainment the fact that they are representing a strong female character that's great so I think people put way too much pressure on Disney to be all these things that it actually isn't like, let me compare it to something like Steven Spielberg's film Jurassic Park, right? These people who are like, oh, but the dinosaurs didn't stand like that. Oh, but they didn't do that. Oh, come on, man. It's a piece of entertainment. Nobody really thinks that there's an island with dinosaurs out there. Wait a minute, what? I'm just like, there's not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there goes my next holiday plan. God, spoiler alert next time, thanks. <laughs> Have you had people contact you and say, oh, but that's not actually how you can kill someone? No, but I did, I did research it rather thoroughly. And I did contact a, um, a specialist in cone snails at one point to find out if that was the, if, if, if the venom could actually be used to kill someone. And he mysteriously refused to answer my emails. I don't know why. Oh, well. <laughs> that's a best story. My last one. It's a controversial one because, well, you know, not all heroes are black and white, are they? Some of them are grey. And I really agonised over this one. And my fifth one is H.G. Wells, uh, Helena Wells from Warehouse 13. Um, and yes, it's true, she did try to kill the world at one point, but she got over that. But um, the plot line, for those who don't know, Warehouse 13 is a show about a bunch of people who run around collecting dangerous artefacts and storing them. And at one point in, I think it was in the 1890s, H.G. Wells was part of this team back when it was a different warehouse number and so on. And various things happened. But... She was also a inventor, a time traveller, uh, a scientist. Um, she had a fantastic love of literature, all these fantastic things, but she was constrained by the circumstances of her time. Her brother took credit for all her writing, for instance, and so forth. So, And she was also bisexual, very, very good. So anyway, she bobs up in the modern day, and she seems like a fascinating character, and everyone loves her, but she's got a dastardly scheme, and that is to wreak vengeance on the world and kill the world. 
she sort of gets over that when she, well, you could say falls in love with, falls in love with, platonically, romantically, who knows, with Micah, a fellow agent, basically talks her down, very much like uh, Willow got talked down by Xander in Buffy, and she doesn't kill everyone, but she spends the rest of the time on the show on this sort of mission to try and make things right and do the right thing. And so what I like about her as a hero is she doesn't give up. She keeps trying. She's been through a lot of grief in her life, which is why she tried to kill the world. Like her daughter died in a horrible way and she never really got over it. So her whole thing is her redemption arc. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. And by the end, when she finally sacrifices her life to save everyone in the warehouse, like she's like looking with tears in her eyes at Micah while she's, while they're living and she's dying and it's the most terrible, wonderful, beautiful, brilliant arc. And the other thing I love about her is she, her love of literature and her scientific curiosity shine through and getting characters who are really digging literature and science in a really passionate and empowering way is so rare. So I love that about her too. I just think she's so three-dimensional and fully formed and I, I find it really sad she's not with us anymore. I haven't actually watched Warehouse 13. I knew that. You, you, asked, so. if, you asked if HD was a man, so I kind of guessed. <laughs> I thought you meant the author. Yeah, no, that's the joke. The, the joke is all this time, like they play with it. Like there's an author called H.G. Wells and her brother's H.G. Wells, an author. Ha, 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 he took credit, you know. So they kind of okay. play with the modern people and, yeah, it had to be there in Steampunk Chic. Yes. By the way, Steampunk Chic, the book that I'm currently writing, The Brutal Truth, uh, the character has a fascination with H.G. Wells and her Steampunk Chic. So, you know, if you want to get au fait with it, start watching now. Okay. She wears these awesome vests and has this really yieldy wieldy looking guns, ray guns, <laughs> anti-magnetic things. It's awesome. She's really cool. What was your fifth one? My fifth one is Maxine from Wentworth. Yay! <laughs> Something close at home. Yes, I actually love Wentworth. I think it's a fab show. Okay, so Wentworth is actually about B. Smith predominantly. She's the main character. She's locked up while awaiting trial for the attempted murder of her husband, and she must learn how life in prison works. She meets, in prison, Maxine Conway, who's formerly Max, a transgender character, not played by a transgender person, played by a man, okay? Just get that out there. Maxine is such a fantastic character because, this was, you see, this was a tough choice, because I also like Sophia on Orange is the New Black, but then when I weighed up who would be more of a hero, I decided Maxine was, was the choice because she fights her own terrible personal struggles throughout the series and yet she's always there to help B. She often gives something up in order to help her friend and she never complains and B often doesn't even know she's giving up something. And she has an incredibly strong moral compass. I would like to see Sophia in Orange is the New Black get more personal storylines because she sort of is more of a peripheral character. What I like about Sophia versus Maxine is that in real life, the actor that plays Maxine is not a transgender person, but Sophia is. In real life, the woman that plays Sophia in Orange is the New Black is a real-life hero. Like, she really is. She's standing up for transgender rights. She's increasing visibility. That's great. But when it comes to fictional characters, Maxine is a transgender character that I think should definitely be on our heroines list. So Yeah. I met Socrates Otto who plays um, Max and he's a really charming fellow. And he's so awed by the lovely uh, emails and tweets and stuff he gets about Maxine. And 
he's really doing his best, his absolute best to capture what it is to be transgender. Of course, he can't fully understand because he's not, but uh, he's did a heck of a lot of research for it and is doing his absolute best to be respectful and honour the role. And I think he's done a fantastic job. I really do. I don't have a problem with a male playing a trans character or a female playing a trans character or that sort of thing. I, I look at it as a straight woman playing a lesbian or a lesbian playing a straight woman. It doesn't actually bother me. It's acting. There was um, a controversy about it at the time, though, when he got cast, and I followed it because I was interested in Wentworth, and it just seems to be, well, why don't you get a transgender person to play it? And the general gist I got at the time was they couldn't find anyone with the acting chops strong enough in Australia to do the job exactly what they wanted, and, and then along came Socrates, who kind of nailed it. So they said, well, wouldn't you rather have the better actor in the role who makes you love and respect the character than a substandard actor who is, you know, with all the good intentions, not that good, and no one really gives a, you know, what. And uh, so that's why they went with Socrates. And I think that that's a solid choice. I understand the argument that you want minorities represented by actors who are that minority. You want lesbians represented by lesbians. But as somebody who understands how film is made, it's kind of like saying, I only want black women to write black woman characters. It doesn't work that way. You can do it with research. You can get, you know, beta readers to read it. You have to do the research, especially when you're doing something like this controversial. But I don't think the world is that black and white. And if we only ever had lesbians playing lesbians, we'd have terrible lesbian films. We do have terrible lesbian films because of that. Look, I think the argument comes down to this. In an ideal world, of course we want transgender people to play transgender and lesbians writing about lesbians and black lesbians writing about black lesbians. The problem is a quantity issue, and we don't have enough to get the wide variety that we need to be able to pluck and say, well, that one would be perfect for this role, and that person would be great for that book. It's just not. We don't have the volume. So that being the case, it's great we've got someone who can step up and write about this or act about that or whatever, and I think that's what you're going to have to do until you know we've got greater numbers. It must be frustrating, though, if you're a trans person and you're seeing a cis person playing a part you think would be far better for a trans person. Uh, but the bottom line is if you've not got the person to play it in Australia where you've got a very small acting pool anyway, that's sometimes a possibility, well, then, you know, you've just not got the person to play it. So you've got to look for other options. Absolutely. I would rather have really good representation in the form of somebody who can act and somebody with a good storyline and somebody who's not going to die, don't kill off the minorities, than have somebody just for the sake of them being trans. I really would. It also makes a bigger Sorry. impact to the person viewing. So you're a young trans person. You're watching a, a positive, good actor on screen. So that's my that's my thoughts. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, they better not kill Maxine is all I'm saying. Okay. Do you have a bonus? A bonus? I didn't know I could get a bonus. Do you have a bonus pick? Somebody who just didn't make your list. Well, yes and no. I mean, I went back and forth on Catherine Janeway. But while I was doing this podcast, I actually thought, you know who would have been kick-ass? And that's Seven of Nine. She's a hero without meaning to be. <laughs> she, I, she, I mean, she's a really unlikely suspect. I mean, she was, um, if you follow Voyager at all, you know, she was um, born human. She got sucked up into the Borg Collective, which is a human-machine sort of hybrid species. And then she got spat back out again when Catherine Janeway saved her when she was about, I don't know, I'm going to guess... 30. So she's got a very machine-like mind, a very logical mind, and she doesn't really give much interest in human sensibilities, morality, and so forth. I remember one episode where she actually 
sent some guy who was being chased by this bad alien species back to his ship so they'd just, you know, get off Voyager and stop affecting all Voyager systems. <laughs> I thought that's a really kick-ass person there, you know. But many, many times she saved the ship, many, many times, despite facing a lot of hostility, especially from Chakotay. You know, she stood up and saved the day, and she's a really, really unusual hero. I, I thoroughly enjoyed every episode. I actually loved her. She was definitely one of my faves. Yeah. So my bonus, if you like, and they almost, almost made the list, and I say they, they because it's the entire female cast of Firefly. No, oh, okay. That's cheating, you know. <laughs> the thing is, Whedon does the best female characters. You have a hooker, a mechanic, a crazy chick, and a kick-ass second-in-command who's also a war hero. And each one of them in their own right is unapologetic. They're really phenomenal, strong females, and they end up saving the day. And I could not pick between the bunch of them, and that's why I ended up not having one of them on the list. Well, that's fair. Do you have a yep. favorite at all? So that's... Like, do you have one that you slightly lean towards? No, because they're just all so amazing in their own rights. Like, if you look at the, the crazy chick, what was her name? River. Mm. River saved their lives time and time again with her strange premonitions. And she was just, like, she was a super tortured character in her own right, trapped very often in her own head. But she would put herself in danger time and time again, even though they just wouldn't believe her. And she saved them very often. Then you've got the hooker chick, who was just, like, she actually said to the captain at one point, something about, if you can't actually handle who I am, I need to find another ship. You know, this is me. I'm not actually going to apologize for it. Just amazing. And then there's the mechanic chick who's just got such an amazing brain. She puts together these complicated engineering type things that just baffle all the guys and make them go, okay, you're way smarter than I am, you know? So, yeah, no, I just love them all. I think they're awesome. Firefly is brilliant and Whedon needs to, like, I don't know, win the Nobel Awesomeness Prize. He does. He's already won it several times. Um, okay, I've got a question. You know, when you mentioned River, I thought about this. How often do you see the young male character who has premonitions who never gets believed? It's always the women who never get believed. Is this the Cassandra prophecy thing again? I mean, it just makes you wonder why <laughs> we're just so used to not being believed. <laughs> yes, because there's a phenomenon that women are hysterical. Ah, yes. yes this is true. And so... You know, we are ruled by hormones and all these emotions, and so we're not logical and we can't possibly be believed because of that. Mm. How often do you have somebody say to you, Oh, you're PMSing because you're having a bad day? Yeah. It's easier to dismiss us, in other words. That's why I really felt bad for Hermione a lot of the time. She, boy, she was getting, you know, yeah, let's the boys take care of We'll go and attack and fight things. And she's like, Wait a minute, you haven't done this spell. <laughs> yeah. You've got to listen to the women, and guys. She, You've got to listen to the women. <laughs> exactly. And she never, ever, ever got credits, ever. No. And she only ever showed up, the only time she got credit was as part of the Golden Trio. They never, ever singled her out. It's like, oh, come on. Yeah, I think Rowling needs to write a female heroine into her story now. Yeah, it's time. Look, I mean, I know why she did it. I mean, her, her sons were the same age as Harry and, oh, round about that age and so she wrote the book for them and she knew that having a female protagonist wouldn't interest them but she really gave Hermione short shrift I think the thing is though and look I don't have sons so I'm commenting completely off my own bat here but when I was a kid 
I watched MacGyver and I wanted to be like MacGyver. And the fact that he was a guy and not a woman didn't kind of faze me. I think if you bring up your children in a way that they can watch men or women heroes and still relate and want to be like them, there's no reason that boys shouldn't want to watch Wonder Woman. Here's an interesting thing, that uh, women, girls, are brought up, like we are so used to not seeing ourselves in all the many colours of the spectrum, all the many ways and shapes and forms and strengths and so on on the spectrum that we're so used to adapting the male heroes and, and seeing ourselves through their eyes and it's a second nature for us. We can do it quite easily. I mean, fortunately, uh, they don't have to do it as much these days, but certainly when I was growing up, you just got used to saying, oh, yeah, okay, I could be like Luke Skywalker or whatever, right? You didn't want to be Princess Leia screaming about, you know, save us, Obi-Wan. You wanted to actually be there doing something. So girls grew up doing this, but guys don't grow up doing that. And I remember, oh, I can't remember the name of the movie, there was a cartoon movie that came out not so long ago about all the different emotions in the brain and all of the players apparently, or all the characters were female, and one of the mothers complained that her son couldn't relate to any of it, and this was just an absolute outrage, and hey, he couldn't get into the movie, and it was wrong. And I remember thinking, darling, <laughs> we do that all the time. It's time the boys learn a little bit of, you know, how to shift into brains like that and from a very young age. Or we just give women more, or girls more well-rounded parts, but I just found it so interesting that we do it without even thinking, and I don't think the boys ever have to even think about it. They just there's always something as a fantasy or hero or something for them in any genre they care to name. It's already there. That's true, but I also think that that's bad for them because my cousin, when he was little, he used to run around with a vacuum cleaner and call it Nunu after the Teletubbies vacuum cleaner. Okay, and then as boys grow up, they told, oh, you can't. Play with vacuum cleaners, that's a girl's thing. Like, he didn't specifically, because we're very, um, his mother's very conscious of the whole gender thing. And she bought, <laughs> she actually bought him a, a, a pram with a doll in it when he was very little. And he used to run around with his pram and make racing car noises. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think if you just don't tell your sons that, oh, you know, we have to watch a boy's thing or we have to, whatever. I think that that's so damaging for them. In their own right. Yeah, they should be allowed the full spectrum of developing, you know. Um, yeah, they should. no one should be pinned in, no one. Boys or girls, that's it, no one. Yep, absolutely. All right, Lee, where can people get hold of you and your books? Well, you can find uh, my books at Ilva Publishing. That's with a Y-L-V-A, <laughs> publishing online. And uh, I'm also on Facebook. I'm Lee Winter Oz, O-Z. There you go. And on Twitter. Yes, I'm also on Twitter. Lee Winter Oz there as well. Yes, you are. So why are you Lee Winter Oz? Because Lee Winter was taken, and I'm from Australia. I love Australians. Well, that's good. I love Australians. You're very quick to tell everybody you're Australians. Yes, this is true. Although, technically, I was born in New Zealand. Oh, really? So, yeah, but no, I've been here for so long, it's ridiculous. And you have a website? Yeah, leewinterauthor.com. You can check me out there. Okay, cool. And I highly recommend uh, Requiem for Immortals. Tara loves Red Files. And we actually did a book club book on that. And I was kind of grumpy that Tara didn't do Requiem for Immortals. But I was like, okay, fine. You do that. I'll just keep telling people how awesome Requiem is. Tara does a fantastic job with the book club. I'm just being a shitlet. <laughs> oh. Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. 
You're most welcome. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate it and subscribe on iTunes, Podbean and Stitcher. Come join us on our Facebook group, the Lesbian Talk Show Chat Group. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. We have a page as well. I'm Sheena. This is Lee. Hey. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye now. It it was a book I hated writing. Like I thought, who's going to want to read this? And but by the end of it, I, I really I had such a soft spot for them, and and what they went through and how they came out the other side. I thought, oh, good job, ladies, good job. That's <laughs> very. <laughs> I felt like a proud parent. I wanted to hand out the cigars. What am I on Facebook as? Does anyone know? <laughs> Hang on a second. Yeah, it's Lee Winter something. Give me one second. I'm gonna get this up. <laughs> I know. I don't. Well, I don't often look myself up, do I? You should totally cyberstalk yourself. It's the latest fed. I'm Lee Winter Oz, OZ. There you go. <laughs> on Facebook. On Facebook, yeah. And on Twitter. Oh, no, don't bother me on Twitter. That's just for Wentworth fans. <laughs> no, don't say that. I'm going to get killed for saying that. <laughs> um, yes, I'm also on Twitter. Uh, I am, I think I'm <laughs> Lee Winter Oz there as well. And you have a website. Oh, God. You don't want me to know the name of the website, too. Hear me. I think it's leewinterauthor.com. Let me just look that up for you. Um, As you can tell, she's very good at promoting herself. Damn straight. Got all the angles covered. Oh no, I can't do that joke. You take that the wrong way. No, there's a very Aussie joke and involves thongs, but you, you guys take thongs a different way overseas. So. For thongs for us is footwear. Yes, um, Cameron Eyed the other day was talking about how she was running around in the rain in her thongs. That led to much <laughs> hilarity on Facebook. Funny thong story. So the um, Australian embassy in LA decided to have a party one year to celebrate G'day Australia. You know, they have it once a year. And in the invite, they told everyone to just turn up in your thongs and no one turned up at all. And they couldn't understand what they'd done wrong. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> That's the best story ever. So thongs yeah. are flip-flops, for those that don't know. If they're from New Zealand, they're called jandals. Sandals? No, jandals with a J. Rhymes with sandals, but with a, with a J for Jesus. I'm sure you're going to edit all this out, right?